for Christ in everything that we do. Uh, let's open up with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you so much for blessing us with the opportunity once again to come and learn more of thee and more of your will for us as Christian servants. We ask and pray that you will bless us, dear Lord, with words from on high. Help us to be open to discussion. Help us to be willing and to have a mind to learn more of thee that we may more closely exemplify Christ to, as we continue to walk and work in his service. In the blessed name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so amen. Chris, Christian amen. service. Uh, can anybody tell us what is, when you hear the term Christian service, what does that mean to you personally? What does Christian service mean to you personally? This is Harper. And the first part, when you say Christian service, it, 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 the part, the Christian, the word itself means that I'm supposed to be a part of God. So I'm supposed to be following his example. So when you say Christian service, I'm supposed to do as God did. I'm supposed to be a servant whenever, wherever he leads me, wherever vineyard he leads me to. I'm supposed to do his service and his will. So that's what I think when I hear Christian service. Amen. Anyone else? I just think about our um, commission in Matthew and how we are supposed to teach, baptize, and teach. And, and, and in that, I think that some people will feel like, well, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not, I don't know how to teach. But really, we can become living epistles, a living sermon. You know, if we would just live the word, that's more convincing than anything. Amen. Amen. Lakita, you had a comment? Well, I'll just say that I agree with both of those. You know, those are really good examples. And that, you know, you can't, as um, Patsy says, you know, being like Christ. And then, as uh, Karen is saying, and being like Christ is the way we live. And so we don't really have to be like teaching, teaching, teaching. That's good if, you know, we can. But also, just the way we live is, is teaching people. You know? Okay. Excellent. Also, be, who are we talking? Go ahead. I'm Go ahead, Alvin. Also, we should be a willing witness, a willing vessel to be used by Jesus. Just be willing. Wherever, like Patty said, Patty said, wherever we go, wherever he sent us, whoever he sent to us, that we should be willing. Okay. I think that's a big word that you just said. I mean, a willing. You know, it's hard to work with people who don't want to work. It's just such a drag, you know. But when people are willing, it just makes the job so much easier and so much more pleasant, you know. Mm -hmm. All good thoughts. Uh, when I think of Christian service, uh, Andre, did you have a comment on that? Well, I just think about kind of what Karen was saying about just living for Christ and um, and and it's scripture that comes up or what I think about is what you, only what you do for Christ will last. So what are you doing for Christ? It would be Christian service. So helping others. Uh, I mean, just there's a plethora of things that would show that you're a Christian. You don't have to go around announcing it. Just, just live it. Okay. And when I think of Christian service, I think of what can I do today to serve Christ? Mm -hmm. it might be different than what I did yesterday. It might be different than what I'm going to do tomorrow. But what can I do today at this time to serve Christ, 
and realizing too that uh, prayerfully I'm changing each day as I follow Christ. So that what I'm doing today, as I say, it might be different. What I'm doing this moment might be different from what I'm going to do an hour from now. But my thought is always, how can I serve Christ in, in this situation that I'm in right now? How can I best serve Christ? So all those were great comments. Uh, excellent comments. Uh, the subtitle is The Need of Heavenly Eye Salve. What is eye salve anyway? What is it and what's it for? Have I ever used eye salve? Well, I've used eye drops, not salve per se. <laughs> but um, it is, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, like when you have tired eyes or eyes that are hurting or sore or uh, something like that. And so I think we're talking about really our spiritual vision, you know, in this instance and how the Lord can clear up our spiritual vision for us um, because there's so many things in our way, so many pollutants in the atmosphere of this earth. I'm gonna put it like that, spiritually speaking, that cloud our, 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 our spiritual um, vision. Mm -hmm. And so we need that, that heavenly eye salve that, that the Lord can give, that will give us clarity, that will give us, you know, um, um, the ability to see through all of Satan's deceptions and all of the things that this world throws at us. Good. Okay. So, <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Eye salve is just some medicine for your eyes, you know. And when we think about it, we're out here in this uh, environment where we got pollutants in the air, we got pollen in the air, we got all different type of weeds and dirt blowing around. And so our eyes get red and irritated by that. And then on a spiritual uh, way of, of looking at it, we're out here in the world and we got sin accosting us. We got um, evil things accosting our eyes and our eyes are now red and irritated with sin. So when we have the heavenly eye salve, you know, like the uh, commercial says, rising gets the red out. Well, the Holy Spirit can get the spiritual redness out of our eyes. And that's what we need, as it says, uh, we need the heavenly eye salve so that we may see the many opportunities about us to minister for God. Many times we're looking, how can I serve the church? How can I serve the Lord? And we don't see the opportunities that are right in front of us because we need that spiritual eye salve to get the redness of the world out of our eyes. And it says, God has repeatedly called upon his people to go out into the highways and byways and compel people to come in that his house may be full. And then it says, even in the shadow of our own doors, you know, our own households, our own neighbors, our families, which we have not shown sufficient interest in to even let them think we even care about them. One of the things that Christ did when he met people was he let them know that he cared about them as, as people, as individuals. And we need to do that same thing before we even try and invite them out to a service or to come to church or whatever. We have to let people know that we care about them as an individual. What are some ways we can let people know that we care about them as individuals? 
Well, Elder Carol, I had a, a, a situation this week in that a couple of weeks ago, a lady, because I'm still doing water therapy, a lady that goes to our water therapy, and we call her Pete. Her name is Petra, and she's from Germany. She brought me two swimsuits, and she was like, I never even wore these, she said, because she said, I looked at them and couldn't fit them. So she gave them to me, and she wouldn't take anything for it. So I hadn't seen her. So I, I seen her this Tuesday, and I gave her a thank you card, and I gave her a track. And I was surprised. She said, uh, she said, Harper, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, my grandmother back in uh, Germany was a Seventh-day Adventist. She said, when she passed away, I kept her Bible. She said, we just got to go to lunch someday. She said, I want to show you all the notes. And she said, as a little girl, she said, that's all I knew a Seventh-day Adventist. She said, then I came to America. And she said, I just didn't even study anymore. So, you know, I'm hoping that through just that thank you card to her and that track that when we go to lunch, I'm going to get to see, you know, her grandmother's Bible. And when she, I mean, she knew exactly when she opened that car and she saw that track and she didn't hesitate to say, are you a seventh day Adventist? And I thought, Lord, I just never know. Never know. And all you did was show some interest in her by giving a thank you card. It's something simple, right? Anybody else? How do we show others that we're interested in them as human beings? You know, you can say it. You can ask them how they are. You can um, say comforting words to them when they are hurting. If they are hurting, you can send a, you know, um, a card or something that says, I'm thinking about you and stuff. And you can spend time with people. You know, like she said, going out to lunch with the lady. Just being a human being yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other thoughts? Well, a I smile. That's always good. <laughs> I think about, you know, you just have to be present for people. You can't always be so busy that you don't have time for people. And um, I think about, like, for instance, when my father passed away, there was a pastor down in Huntsville. And he was just there. He didn't say, really say anything too much. But every time we needed to do something, he was just there in case we needed him. And that was so comforting. I mean, it was immensely comforting. You know? And I think sometimes when you don't know what to say, just be present. You know, that shows people how much you care. You know? That you take time out of your busy schedule. You know, to just be there. Amen. It's a good yeah. way. Also, sometimes when I see, like, for instance, homeless people, I sometimes I try to keep some money on me to give to them. I see people in need. I try to help them, like, uh, call, things like that that I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like sharing, huh? Excellent. Sharing is caring. I like that. I like that, Alvina, because. Sometimes I see people holding those signs and say, uh, I will work and, you know, I don't have food or I'm unemployed. I just roll down my window no matter if a traffic starts tooting and I give them a dollar or whatever I have. What's funny about that to me is Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. And I, I feel like we should be prepared to hand out something to the poor because they're going to be always there. Whether or not they're on, they're not on every corner or every exit, but they're going to be there. Have something already ready, you know, 
And, 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 and I mean, you know, you, you give what the Lord impresses upon you to give, but I try to put them in a track and have them already in my car, ready to just hand mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I make sure I do whenever I'm giving someone on the corner uh, some money, I always look them in the eye and smile. Because so many times people might just hold out the money out, you know, the window and keep moving. But it makes a difference when you actually acknowledge the person by looking at them in their eyes and smiling. That makes a huge difference, too. Uh, and as Peter and as that song says, Peter and John said, uh, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, I give to you. So you might not have money, but Karen mentioned she has tracks. And you can just roll the window down and say, you know, I don't have any money, but uh, God bless you. I hope things turn out and smile, you know, whatever you can do, whatever yes. you can. And, and, you know what? and they so, do, they do love it when you say, God bless you. And they'll a lot of them will say, God bless you too, sister. Yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them now on their signs, they got their cash app. So if you don't have money right then, <laughs> you can send, send them $5 later, you know? I ain't never seen that one. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm seeing it more now than before. Got the cash, yeah. Andre, you had a comment. <laughs> Yesterday, um, my wife had a flat tire. So on my way to rescue her, I was at, <laughs> I was at the light on Lindbergh and uh, Halls Ferry. And uh, it was a church out there. It was like two or three people at each section. And the guy walks right up to me. He has his bucket. And I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I don't think I have anything. He said, any change that you have? I said, let me dig and see if I have something. And I dug in my little change drawer in the car. And all I could feel was two coins. When I pulled them out, I thought I was hoping one of them was at least a dime or something. It was two pennies. I said, I'm so sorry, but here's my two, the, the, my, my two mites. And we connected on that because he said, you're already in the word. You got the two mites. I said, yep. I said, this did a lot for the widow. And so we both laughed, but we connected on that and, uh, and put a big smile on his face. I just gave him what I had. And then by making that statement, he knew that I was in the word too, because I made that reference. And mm -hmm. so uh, I just thought that was really good. Um, one of the things I was thinking about is, I never knew what to do when people were in the hospital and wanting to go visit. And I was like, you know, I was telling needed to bring something or I needed to have something to say. But kind of what Karen said, when you just go and sit with people, even if you're just sitting and watching TV and you talk about that, they love the fact that you took out some time in your day that you could be doing anything, but you took out an hour or so even if it's just an hour, just to sit with them, I think that really lets people know that you care about them um, to the point where you don't just make a phone call, but you make an effort to go park. You might have to pay for parking. You don't know what you have to do, but you did what you needed to do to get in that room with them just for a, an hour or so. I think that's really important. And oh, you yeah. know, uh, Andre, when I went to see Deaconess uh, Jerry, Johnson, she's over here, not far from me at the elderly home. Me and my daughter went to see her. 
And she, you know, she was having her dessert. And we told her, we said, no, finish your dessert. We're going to sit around till you finish. But she just, she was just so happy to see us. And I said, she didn't want us to go. And then, you know, I told her, I said, well, you know, we have to go because, you know, they're going to take you back to your room and stuff. But she was just so thrilled to see any church member. And I said, and it makes a difference for those, especially that's in those system living in elderly homes. Not only do, you know, like I said, I deliver her Sabbath school book to her, but to take time to sit down sometime with her. Amen. Amen. All great ideas. And remember, when we ask God to open our eyes that we might see, he'll show us all these various opportunities that we have to minister for him by letting others know that we care about them and we care about their soul salvation. And also, one of the things that I do as a landlord, you know, you read a lot of times about uh, tenants and landlords getting into it, and the landlord went over and ended up getting jumped on or shot mm -hmm. or something. You know, what I try and do when I go by, I'm not always showing up just for rent money. <laughs> you know, I show up to take care of things that might need fixing mm -hmm. or if I'm, if I'm just I always go by just to check and I'll just see a person I'll say hey how's your kids doing or what happened with that situation you were telling me about you know and just chat with them like any other person so you know that also lets them know you just not a dollar sign to me I see you as an individual and I'll talk to you about what your concerns are and what you're going through and empathize with people you know, and I think it makes a big difference to them. So when I show up, they don't all lock the door and pull the blinds or, mm -hmm. you know, start cussing at me or nothing. But they realize I, I think about them as an individual. They'll be willing to take care of your stuff. Yes, yes, amen. Hopefully so. <laughs> <laughs> so now we come, we've always, we always hear this question asked, who is my neighbor? It says, we're to remember our neighbor is the one who most needs our sympathy and help. Our neighbor is every soul who is wounded and bruised by the adversary. Our neighbor is everyone who is the property of God. So that includes everybody. And the pastor mentioned it this morning about who, um, that nobody's excluded, that all of us, no matter if I cut you off in line or if God forbid somebody flip you off, hey, Jesus still died for them too. They're still our neighbors, right? Let's go over to the next chapter is fanaticism and cold formalism. It's fanaticism and cold formalism. What do those two have to do together? Those are two extremes. Mm -hmm. Of what? You know, of uh, practicing as a Christian, you know. We can hardly hear you, Lakita. Uh, uh, practicing as a Christian is, uh, those are two extremes of practicing as a Christian. Uh, formalism, you said form, code formalism, you know, the rules. You know, you have to follow the rules, blah, 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 blah. And fanaticism, well, they're not really opposite. Fanaticism is you really have to follow the rules, and there's a whole lot of rules to follow. Okay. And fanaticism, people, you know, basing your your um your salvation on how closely you follow the rules they put up. Okay. This is, I think I'm gonna say either the church is dead or you're too live. Hmm. <laughs> too live. Okay. 
Anybody else? What's the connection between fanaticism and code formalism? They both need Christ out of the picture for real. And the roots have taken the place of God. Good mm-hmm. uh-huh. thoughts. And, yep. and I think in both cases, fanaticism and the formula, that people put their perceptions on you, but can they show you book, chapter, Bible, and verse where, where God made, even when God talked to, especially the woman at the well, he didn't, put, he didn't, you know, just come right out and say, you know, you're a sinner, so stop lying. You know, you had more husbands than that. He used <laughs> love and telling her and saying, you know, <laughs> you have more than one and the one you with ain't yours. But at least I said, you know, it's one thing to tell me, this is what I think, but God didn't go to people like that. And you have some that says, if you're not doing step one, step two, step three, then you're not a, you're not a Christian. But that's based on their perception. It's not based on the word of God. Because God says we all have fallen short of, and, and fell short of his glory. We're sinners. But you do have people that will say, you know, if you're not following this and you're not doing, and I'm, I'm going to give an example. You have some to say, if you're not reading Ellen White, Ellen White with your Bible, then you ain't really no Seventh-day Adventist if you're not keeping up with her. And I'm like, but that's not what she tells us. She tells us to read her, her, her literature along with the Bible, not separate, but along. And so you have some that just will tell you, if you're not into Ellen White, then you are not a Christian. Yeah, she always Go ahead. Go ahead, Alvin. She points to the Bible as a greater light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we also you got to remember these are just two more tricks of the devil. If he can get you to be a fanatic on one hand and cold formalist on the other, he's just trying to gather in a harvest of souls. And we have to watch for the first step of advance that Satan may try and make among us don't wait until it's too late but when you first see that satan is trying to come in amongst god's people we need to take steps we need to wake up again we need that eye salve to discern satan's tricks and his delusions and then we may uh, have to ask the lord to bless us and to give us ways and methods to handle and deal with that and i like what it says on the last paragraph of that chapter says there are moral icebergs in our churches. <laughs> moral Help us, iceberg. Lord. Yeah. Says there are plenty of formalists who can make an imposing display but cannot shine as lights in the world. I was thinking, too, that both of those things, uh, formalism as well as fanaticism, usually leave people isolated from uh, fellow church members. You know, because either way, Nobody in the church is good enough for them. And sometimes we know we've known people who are in the church and were became more fanatic. That means that the church members was too sinful. And so they separated themselves from the church members. Hmm. Be out in the wilderness by themselves studying and whatnot. Again, just another trick of the devil to split people up, split up God's people. And if he can isolate you, you know, the isolation is like one of the number one reasons that people, well, that's kind of like a step in towards committing suicide, you know, mm. the hopelessness and being so separated and alone, feeling so alone 
Um, and we see that from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Uh-huh. How, how, you know, relationships are so important yes. for people, you know, because Adam, like, you know, how come these animals, they have friends and partners and I don't have any? No mm. one's like me. Mercy. I think about um, the, sometimes people push the letter of the law without the spirit of the law. Mm. Amen. And a lot of times, you know, you can always say you shouldn't do this. Thou shalt not. Where's the spirit behind it? And, and, and then when you if you if you eliminate the spirit, you really eliminate the love part of it, because God did everything. Jesus did everything in love, you know. And so there's a way to do things. And if you're not doing them in love, the devil will point out he could point out sin all the time, but he points it out the wrong way. And so we have to be careful when we do um, read the Bible and quote the Bible that we do it in, in a loving manner. And, you know, sometimes I think when people, you know, are criticizing or saying this is what needs to be done. Well, if you know that person is, is not sure, you know, lead them, like you said, in love. Say this is what you can do. And, you know, even simple things on the Sabbath, you need something to do. This is what you can do on the Sabbath. Instead of looking at that TV, you know, you can do this, you can do that. Because, you know, as kids, when the kids grew up, they would say, well, my friends, say they get to do this on Saturday. And then when you finally explain to them, I'm not your friend's mother, and we're going to go by what does says the Bible. And then you find activities to get them involved in the spiritual during those Sabbath times where they got that block. And I said, I just, like I said, I just love when Northside used to have activities in the evening of, you know, they, there was stuff that the youth could get involved in. And I said, it, it helped to make them understand that the Sabbath is not a burden, but if you come along and you telling a young mother who, you know, is trying to get into the faith, well, you know, your kids shouldn't be doing this and this and that on the Sabbath. Give her something in return that she can do with them on the Sabbath instead of criticizing her. Mm. I think personally that people don't have really any right to tell you what they can't, what people can and can't do on the Sabbath, because that's a relation. That's a spiritual relationship with God. And I know that there have been times when um, with Holly that we would stop you know we wouldn't go to church we would go on a hike you know go on a hike and stuff and one day we went to sister we was on a hike and we were on pacific so i was like oh church is probably over <laughs> and you know they always had food out there so i said let's go by sister clay house and have lunch and so we went over there in our sweaty clothes smelling like a hike and everything and um one of the church members just couldn't help herself she was like, uh, so y'all didn't go to church, but y'all found y'all way to lunch. It didn't really praise me, you know, until later I thought about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, we knew that you guys were going to be having lunch. And later on, Sister Clay said, you know, that really, that really impressed me. She said, you guys, you didn't apologize. You didn't make no excuses. But what is there to make an excuse about? You have to re respect the other person's relationship with God. You have absolutely no clue about what God is doing in that person's life. You just don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. so and, and, and what does eating have to do with anything? I have to eat. I'm hungry. No matter <laughs> no matter where I was today, oh, in church, yes. out of church, wherever, I'm still hungry and you have no. food, I'm going to eat. 
Well, first of all, wait a minute. It, it wasn't her house, so you don't have right. to say right. Well, you know, I had Sean Debris when he was at Northside. He pulled me to the side because some sisters prayed with me because I had taken my family after church to the zoo. I said, we didn't buy anything, but the Sabbath school lesson for the kids was dealing with the lions, and Juwan was little, and he was like, I like lions, Grandma. So I actually took him to the zoo so he could see a, a real one, and we walked around, and now my sisters, they let me have it. They was praying and everything, so then Sean pulled me over. He said, come here. He said, there's nothing wrong with you letting those kids see what God has done with animals. He said, you didn't buy nothing? I said, uh-uh. I said, and I said, we carried a sack lunch. But it was funny because they was looking at Sean like they wanted to go knock him out of his wheelchair. He, they were so mad at him. But he, I mean, he just, and he said, and I can give you, you know, he said, they giving you all these Bible texts and stuff. He said, if you want to call me later, I'll explain to you why they were using those texts on you. He said, but he said, but you talk to God one-on-one. He said, and mm-hmm. he said, nature is what God produced, but I was like, we did, and unfortunately, we did go to church, but after church, we did go to the zoo, but it was yeah. so funny because I, I couldn't understand at that time, you know, I'm, I'm even though, you know, I, I knew about Adventist back home, but as far as Northside was, I was still a new believer, and they got to throwing all these, and they was, they didn't even need to open the Bible with all these texts, and I was like, mm-hmm. man, I really have sinned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but really, the truth of the matter is that Jesus sets us free. And we just can, you can just trust God. You really, you can trust him that he's not going to lead you, to lead you wrong. This, to me, this hard, harsh attitude that, you know, people have about church and kids. And, you know, this is why we don't, why people don't or not in church. Now it's really, I don't blame anybody else, but it really does affect people when you're so hard about everything. And like, everything is so like, like it's like Jesus it's like, um, even though we say salvation is free and it's a gift from God, even though we say that, we, we, we still resort back to, you have to work to get it. You know, if you go to the zoo, you don't get it. If you go to the zoo on the Sabbath, you don't get it. If you, you know, like cook on the Sabbath, you don't get it. If you, you know, wash your hair on the Sabbath, you don't get the salvation. We still have this whole idea, but we have no clue. I keep thinking about Esther, you know, in the king, and each one of those virgin girls spent the night with the king. What did they do in there, right? You know why he picked her <laughs> out of all the other girls and stuff. And then I think about Esther and how she didn't tell people she was Jewish. You know, she hid, you know, her cultural background and, and, and didn't expose it until she had to. She was passing. Now we would say that's deceitful, it's dishonest, you're not a real Christian. But maybe God told her, you don't have to tell everything about yourself to everybody. Maybe that's what he taught her. So we have no clue how God is intervening in people's lives. And we just have to trust God and pray for the people. Yeah, it's like we always say in this class, everybody has to have a relationship with the Lord so that when he speaks to them, they listen to him and not listen to other people. Because it's very easy for you to get caught up and say, uh, in fact, it's a good example of when people come and ask you, what do you believe about a certain thing? And a lot of times people say, oh, my church believes this, my church this, my church that. They didn't ask you what your church 
believe in. They ask, what do you believe? So when we're talking to the Lord, he's talking to us. He might tell us one thing because of what we've been through and where we come from. And he might tell somebody else something a little different. Now, he's not going to, uh, the principles of God's word always remain true. So he's not just going to change principles, but methods, tactics, ways of doing things, when a person may do it, when they might not, all those things can vary, but the message is still the same. So we do have to be very careful trying to be, uh, end up being legalists on one hand or fanatics on the other, because it, it, I thought that was really interesting, uh, the phrase moral icebergs in our churches. And also like the pastor said today too, which we've all heard, we don't want to be so heavenly bound that we're no earthly good. If all I'm doing is focusing on rules and regulations or how uh, I'm Jesus' favorite and nobody else is or whatever, how am I going to relate to my neighbor? It all goes back again to who is my neighbor? Anyone who needs to hear about the love of God is our neighbor. And that's what we're called to do. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, otherwise, we'll move to the next. I had an iceberg talk to me one time. <laughs> and uh, she was like talking about pants, wearing pants in the church. Now, this wasn't even like, even though I do wear pants on the Sabbath, but this wasn't even on the Sabbath. I was walking down the hall. It's like on a weeknight and he went to the store. And here she come talking to me. This is about the second or third time. Wow, Sister Carol, I, my heart, my heart, I'm just, I, you know, I don't mean no harm to you, but the Lord, the Lord just keeps telling me that I need to tell you that, you know, your husband, he's an elder and everything. And, and, you know, you just, you just wearing those pants in the church, you know, you, you should not have those pants on in the church, you know, and this was like the fourth time. So I said to her, I said, you know what? Thank you, Miss So-and-so, Sister So-and-so. I said, but the next time the Holy Spirit speaks to you, tell him he can speak directly to Miss Carol, to Sister Carol, because I talk to God every day, and he hasn't said anything to me about it. So tell the Holy Spirit directly to me. That was the end of it. That was the end of it. Like, this is your stuff. It's not my stuff. And don't give me your stuff. I got my own stuff, other stuff that God is working with me. There's other things in my life. So he have told you. I, I, I know what happened. They finally, she finally, they finally laid off Sister Carol. Then they came after me. Thanks a lot, Lakita. Right. <laughs> so, they, so he never came to you about the pants, right? No, not that I know of. No, I'm still wearing pants. And I've expanded them and stuff. But you know, because I'm feeling, <laughs> I always feel like to for me, this is me personally, my legs are cold. You know, I just, you know, and I can't understand how come men's legs don't have to be cold in the wintertime, but our legs have to be cold. You know, or then you have, then some people will wear stockings and blah, blah, blah. Then you have tight stuff on your legs the whole time. So I just figure for me, this is just me and everybody else can do whatever they want to do that my legs are cold not like warm legs so this is what i do so i just feel like for you know we have everybody have an idea of what you are supposed to do get busy people the more you're witnessing the more you're serving god the less you see of everybody else's life is a problem to you 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that connection with the Lord, he can speak to you just like he can speak to anybody else. We have to have that eye salve that we first talked about so that we can see what God is telling us to do and where he wants us to go. How about this uh, chapter, Narrowed by Selfishness? Narrowed, oh. narrowed by Selfishness. The reason why God's people are not more spiritual minded and have no more faith that have been shown is because they are narrowed up with selfishness. Anybody have an idea on what that means? Narrowed up with selfishness. Me, myself, and I. Or as uh, one time a pastor says, his is um, me and my wife, he and his wife, us four, no more. <laughs> that our charity, our love is only extended to ourselves or to, you know, maybe a few other people in our lives. Hmm. Anyone else? What does narrowed up with selfishness mean to you? When we're too, when we're comfortable, we don't want to get out of our comfort zone. If we do it, we're comfortable doing it, doing something or witnessing. Okay. Or if we have something that we can share, we don't share it because we like, well, I got it, and let them go get it on late, like I got it. Okay. Or nailed up with suffixes. Or well, you know what? Oh, oh sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, Karen. Because I'm trying. To I think mind. about you all as stewardship leaders. We can be selfless with our time, our talent, our treasure. I mean, we can be selfish with all of that. Yes. You know. Yeah, and mm -hmm. narrowed up with it means we, we just, just just throw it all there in the kitchen kitchen sink, and we just depriving God of all of it, you know, depriving other people of our service to God in all those ways. Yeah, and, and then, could narrow up also be boasting. You know, with so much pride, you're boasting. And uh, you know, I'm thinking narrow up uh, too meaning that you know we are just so like i'm not going to do anything unless it benefits me well i think mm. unless i like it you know unless i enjoy it but so if it doesn't benefit me in any way lord help me you know then it is not something i'm going to do yeah what and you, you know have some people some people they won't do anything if they don't get recognition for it that's what i was thinking i just asked them a question could it also be the type of boasting that, you know, once you get that recognition, you stick your chest out like you're better than everybody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'd be all those things. Alvina? No, I wasn't saying I already said I was disagreeing. I was just saying, mm -hmm. okay. Now, when you think about it, too, it's talking about more spiritual-minded. In order for us to be spiritual-minded, we have to have our minds open to the Word of God and open to His Holy Spirit's leading. And if our minds are not open because they've been narrowed, you know, narrowed into only caring or thinking about ourselves, then that could also be part of it too. So that our minds cannot expand to what God wants us to do, to hear what he has to say, because all we care about is how is this going to benefit me? I don't care about my neighbor. Don't really care that much about the family members. Sure, don't care about the church members and strangers on the street because my focus is only on me, me, myself, and I. 
It reminds me of one time Andre uh, um, shared about an illustration that he had seen where a little boy, Jesus was asking the little boy for, you know, his sucker. And you know how kids be holding their food, their stuff back, like, no, I'm not going to give you this. But then it shows you that behind God, Jesus, behind God's back, he had a bigger sucker, much bigger than the one. So sometimes our brain, we just so set, you know, uh, narrowed in as we were saying, and we just can't see, you know, when God is telling us to do something else, how it can lead to even bigger and better, you know, ministries or help or whatever. So our selfishness keeps us stuck, really. Yeah, I personally think selfishness is the root of all evil, too. Along with the love of money, selfishness is the root of all evil. It says in this paragraph, it is not the abundance of your meetings that God accepts. That includes church meetings, Sabbath school, prayer meeting, any of that. That's not what God's concerned with. It's not the numerous prayers. So all the prayers that we have, you know, that's good, but that's not what does it. But the right doing, doing the right thing at the right time, basically being a Christian servant, living a Christian life, living a life that exemplifies Christ. That's what God is concerned with. And if, if we're not living that Christian life because we're so focused on ourselves, then God's not pleased with that. And again, that's just another one of the devil's tricks to keep us from doing what God asks us to do. Another thing that can be a problem is along with selfishness, covetousness. Covetousness. Again, partly with selfishness. Some refuse to be converted, not willing to walk in God's way. And when in order that the work of God might be advanced, calls were made for free will offerings, some clung selfishly to their earthly possessions. These covetous ones became separated from the company of believers. So we don't want to allow selfishness and covetousness to keep us from receiving that eternal life, which goes to God's faithful people. You know, we always talk about uh, stewardship, being stewardship leaders. And the whole point of stewardship is it's all about relationship with God. It's not about money. That's all people think about. Uh, it's time, talent, temple, treasure, or relationship with God. How am I using all those blessings he's given me for his glory? Am I using them for his glory? Or am I just focused only on myself and what I can get out of? It? So we have to be very careful. We don't fall for uh, those little tricks the devil has. And this is an interesting chapter. The last one we'll hit on. Carol, I got a quick quick com comment on the okay. covenant. You do have people that when you talk about stewardship, they say, I got a relationship with God. But the money they give to the church, they feel like that they should have the biggest say-so and what goes on. So to me, they're not giving it out of the kindness of their heart. They're doing it so that they can control or rule over Whatever's being, you know, decided at the church. Well, if I'm given the most money, I should have the the biggest say so. Well, really, to be honest with you, Pessy, they have not given the money. You know, that, returned. That, I'm sorry, return. Um, no, I'm not given return. They haven't. They haven't. See, it's it's um, it, picture it like this. They gave the money, but they still have a string on it, and it's invisible, but they still are attached to this money. When you give something or return 
God's tithes and offering or whatever, when you relinquish it, there are no strings to it. There is no expectations on how the person's supposed to use it or what they're supposed to do, blah, blah, blah. You know, when you relinquish it and let it go, it's gone. It is not yours anymore. But if someone is expecting that the church does something or a thing or some things because they gave money to the church, they have not relinquished the money. They haven't given it. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, thank you. That cl- I, I never thought of it like that. Thank you. They're still holding. They're still holding on to God's money, and um, and and uh, and I don't believe to from I, you know I can't judge because I'm not God, but I don't really believe that's that's when he talks about Jesus loves a cheerful giver. I'm not seeing the cheer and joy in that giving. Hmm. It becomes more of a burden to them because now you have to control everybody that has something to do with that money. Now it's a it's a bigger job than if you had just kept the money in your pocket. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So, Lakita, you were saying when you give it, it should you shouldn't be any restrictions or stipulations on where it's going or how it's to be used. But what is wrong with that saying you want it to be used for a specific purpose? Now, if you give some money and you say, okay, let's say that we're going to have um, this concert, right? And so we're going to say tomorrow we'll discuss, I haven't discussed where the money goes because you just don't take the money in, you know, and just do this, this money is coming in and you just don't take it and it does nothing. So if we say, well, we're going to take this money, it goes to the media team then there is going to be some oversight, but no one who gives the money, you know, can be saying, well, you know, I gave the money to the media team and I want the media team to do this with the money. You don't get to do that. Oh, okay. So they can say, they can, they can, they can, because, you know, on our tithe envelopes, so to speak, when we're we're back when we were Uh handing Uh in tithe envelopes, (laughs) Uh they give, they have lines, line items that we can write in what we Uh want particular offering to go for mm-hmm. and so what you're saying is okay well we can stipulate what what line item we want that offering to go into but beyond that we have no control over how they spend it how it's spent yeah yeah and, and unless That's you right. really like you guys just did some bought some new equipment which you know you guys needed congratulations you know you you guys bought so if you say well okay we want to uh the media team would like to get these speakers, you know, um, 401A, you know, battery type of speakers, whatever, you know, if you, if you guys did that, then when we give the money, they give the money, then it's going to go towards the 401A batteries, you know, that's what if, if it's specified for that particular thing, but what I get from her is this, someone comes in and they drop $20,000 off, okay, and so they say it's for the, um, it's for general stewardship, so that means it is to take care of the church, now, you know, they want to tell the church, well, I don't want, you know, I want 5,000 to go to, you know, the heating thing, and I want 10,000 to go over here, or if, they, if the church says, well, we're going to vote to, let's, let's take everybody on a cruise, and then the board votes that, you know, there's a cruise teaching something important about God, whatever, that you want to go out and look at some important whales, who knows, but the person want to say, well, I gave $20,000. And I don't want my twenty thousand dollars to go on that cruise because I'm not going. Or since I gave twenty thousand dollars and y'all gonna use some of that money, I think I should have the tap the captain's uh, best room or the biggest suite. You can't do that. 
one it's of, gone. One of the things we have to remember as a church family, no one individual controls the church. All the church members have a say-so in church uh, business meeting and then also in church board meeting. But because you're giving money, you don't get to dictate what the pastor is going to preach about. You don't get to dictate as an individual what color carpet's going to be bought. Nobody has that kind of power. There are many people who give money to churches. Then they want the pastor to preach on a certain subject. You know, attacking, uh-huh. maybe attacking their their enemies at church or whatever, or they want the uh, the uh, deaconess to dress like their uh, mother used to dress them when they were growing <laughs> up. You don't have that type of authority. Once you give the money to the church, all the strings are cut. It's not even your money anymore. So it's not your money. You can't tell anybody what to do. With. And it never was your money. It never was. It's all of God's stuff. All of this is God's stuff. And, you know, we have to be, we're returning to God and we're saying, I just trust you, God. I trust the people who are in, who are over this church. I trust them with this money. And so then, you know, like I talked to Lee, I said, okay, listen, supposing for whatever reason, we got some money, let's say $10 million. Now, you know, uh, what's, what's 10% of 10 million? I can't even count that high. Is that a one day, okay. One, see, I'm thinking ten ten dollars because this happened. How my brain goes? No, just kidding. So one million dollars. Well, I'm thinking, okay, am I going to put this in one church? They're going to put this in Tabernacle Praise Church. Well, what I think would happen if I put that in Tabernacle Praise Church, people stop giving money. Well, they got enough money. You know, I don't need to give any offering. I'll just give that. You're not doing this based on what other people have done or what's available at church. You're doing this based on your relationship with God. It's you and God. So for me, the way I look at it, if I got $1 million, I definitely have to pay tithe. And I would have to pay my usual 20, 10, 10, or 10, 15, whatever God leads me to do. So now I have to get rid of $25 million. So I will not give all that money to one church. It's not going to happen. It's going to be divided up and split into several different places, several different churches. You know, it's just, it's not going to go in one spot. Tithe might, but not all the rest of it. Because I just feel like it's going to unmotivate everybody else to do what they're supposed to do. One of the things also uh, we have to remember is when you are honest and faithful in tithe and offering, that doesn't curry you any favor with church. I mean, the church is happy that you're helping to fund the church and the utilities and all that. What you're doing is letting God know that you trust him. It's not about I'm going to put in $20 so then I get to dictate the songs that the choir is going to sing. It doesn't work that way. Once you have returned it, you know, hopefully by by God's grace, you're honest and upfront, return it. It's over with for that. You have no say so based simply on what you gave an offering. You know, I heard a, a, someone has said at one time, this guy had given $200 in offering and everybody was all happy, you know, thank you, Brother Johnson, for that $200 offering. Well, a little couple of weeks later, Brother Johnson's light bill was doing, he came back to the church and said, hey, I'm gonna need that $200 back. <laughs> That's not how it works. That money is not yours to get back. It's gone. You put it into the church and it's gone. You have no control whatsoever after that. Also, 
I know some people who like I'm not giving no the money to no church. They just gonna take it and do this and that with it. Yeah, a lot of people say that. But again, you know, the way the church functions, we have church business meeting, church board meeting. That's the opportunity that all of us has to voice our opinion on what should or shouldn't be done with the funds in the church, with the church uh, building, with the church structure, church scheduling. That's the opportunity that we have. But it's not at all based on how much you return in tithe and offering. The person who returns $1 tithe and offering gets the same vote as the person who gives $1,000 tithe and offering. Now, that's the way it should play out, Elder Carroll. But it doesn't <laughs> always play out like that. But, but you're right. From God's standpoint of view, like, like even the lady in the Bible that gave all she had, and, and God praised her for that because she gave all she had. But it doesn't always work like that, even among churches. It's sad, but yeah, but you know, you're absolutely right, Pessy. And it's sad when the pastor or the leader, whoever that is, succumbs to that because he has just increased his problems tenfold. You know, if he would stick to it's amazing how if you just stick to the rules or the standards, then you eliminate. So those rules are, are not necessarily to bound you up and make you miserable. It is to help you not to, have, not to have so many problems, you know, in, in the church. You know, it, well, the first time you carry favor because somebody gave you some money, you, you just may yeah, as well. That's a slippery slope. Yeah. And you may You'll as well just be move. Get out of it. Beg them to move you from the church because this person, his cronies see that, then they're going to want to do it. His enemies see it, then they're going to want to do it. Yeah. Honesty is always the best policy. And again, selfishness and covetousness that's the devil's tricks to take us away from what god wants us to do away from what god wants to bless us with away from what god wants us to experience so that we can be more and more like christ each and every day again that's just part of our christian service how can we best serve christ at this point in my life at this time in my life and with the resources that i have in my life so let's continue to study continue to pray uh next week karen where are we at in the testimonies uh we are in testimonies volume one and we'll be studying chapter 103 testimonies one chapter 103 mm-hmm. what's the what's the title of the chapter do you know right um let me see just hold on one second baby, and i'll get that for you i clicked off of that page wait a minute mm-hmm Get back to it. Sister Karen, I got it if you don't have it. Labor, oh, laborers in the office. Okay, laborers in the office. Okay, thanks, Patsy. Laborers uh-huh. in the office. Sounds very interesting. Uh, so, again, we invite everyone to tune back in uh, next Sabbath at 2 30 and invite a friend to tune in with us. And let them know they're free to give their opinions and thoughts on whatever we're discussing. And at this time, we'll close out with the word of prayer. Nikita, would you give us prayer? Most honorable Father, blessed name of Jesus, we thank you for this, um, your word. We thank you for the warnings that we've given, uh, that has been given us in terms of um, basing our religion, our belief, and our love on anything other than you, Lord. We ask your Father that if any of those things 
um, are in our lives right now that you have pointed out to us, dear Father, so we'll know to make it a subject of prayer and that we will struggle against those things with your help. We ask, dear Father, that you will help us to be good stewards in all ways, in all things. We thank you for the ministries that you've given us. We thank you for an opportunity to serve you uh, and to become more Christ-like as a result of the service that you have allowed us to do. We just praise your holy name, and we thank you so much for this season of joy and, and um, happiness. And Lord, we ask that you would be with families uh, who have lost loved ones during this time and who are going through difficult financial times and Lord, families who are being broken up as a result of divorce and all those things that hinder them from enjoying you, Lord, from seeing you. We ask that you will be with them, send someone um, to minister to their hurt and their pain and help us, Lord, to do our part in the lives of those who are around us. In Jesus' name we pray and praise you always. Amen. 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 I got a question as soon as they 